Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so we're going to start a new series. This is going to be a mini-series. And this series is on the different roles within the church and the responsibilities of each one of these roles. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, uh, we learn that the church is God's household. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate about this particular verse is that this is one of the few books in the Bible where the author actually explicitly states the the purpose of the book. And it is really nice, you know, especially for someone who's, who is trying to preach through a book of the Bible. It is very nice when you find a, a verse or a passage where the author of the book actually gives you the, the purpose of the book, because then you can go off of that and say, okay, so I'm going to interpret the rest of the book in light of this statement. For example, John, when he is writing uh, uh, the gospel according to John, at the very end of the book, he says, um, Basically, he states the purpose of the book. He, he, he talks about like how Jesus performed any signs and how he wrote the signs that he wrote so that people would be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so in this case, we have Paul writing the, the, uh, the purpose for his letter to Timothy. And this is what he says. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of these uh, short two verses. And then just as a reminder, something that we have been doing is when I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of God. And all of you say, praise be to God. So I'm, going to, I'm actually going to read verses 15 through 16. I'm sorry, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. So from these uh, few verses, from these three verses, and more specifically verses 14 and 15, we learn a whole lot of things about the church, about God, about, um, you know, the purpose of the letter of 1 Timothy. But one of the things that I want us to focus on is the fact that Paul refers to the church as the household of God. There are many uh, metaphors in the Bible for the church. For example, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ or as a body. Paul refers to the church as a building. And, and again, he's not talking about this building, but he's talking about how the church, the people are actually, or are uh, in a metaphorical sense, they are stones of a building. But one of the metaphors, one of the, one of the ways of referring to the church that we don't really address a whole lot is that the church is a household. The church is a household. This is uh, the word translated as household, is actually the word where we get our, uh, our word for economy. So 
So in the Greek, the word translated as household is the same word we get. We get the word for economy or for home. And so um, basically it means that the church is God's, uh, God's smallest economic unit in, in a sense. Or, and by economy, I don't necessarily mean monetary, but I mean administration. Uh, so the church is a household. And in like it, just like in every household, there are different roles within a household. So, for example, when Paul was writing this book, the the Greco-Roman household was, uh, you know, was was predominant. It was the main thing that that uh, people understood there. And within the Greco-Roman household, there were there was a father, there was a mother, there were children, there were uh, slaves, there were ser- uh, yeah, there were slave servants. Same thing. There were widows sometimes. They were probably other family members, but all of them fit within one household. And so in this metaphor, Paul is saying, or God is teaching through Paul, that the church is God's household. And so we're going to take three Sundays to talk about three different roles within the household of God. So this Sunday, we're going to focus on the elders. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the deacons. And then the last Sunday, we will focus on the church in general, the, the congregation or the members of the church. So before we get into who the elders are or a definition for the elders and the role and everything, uh, I do want to clear the desk a little bit and address a few issues. Um, but let's pray. I just realized that I didn't pray uh, to begin this sermon, and, and so I just want to commit this time to the Lord. So please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching that we have in the Bible regarding your church, your household. We thank you uh, today specifically for the vast amount of teaching that we have regarding church leadership, regarding church elders. I pray that we would be humble to submit to your teaching. I pray that you would give us an open mind and open hearts to understand your word. I pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would show us your grace, that you would lavish us with your grace, that we would be able to see the glory or your glory in the face of your son, Jesus. Please guide me in the words that I'm about to speak, Lord. And I pray that this teaching would be for the benefit of your church, which is your household. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, before we get into uh, who, it, who are the pastors or, or the elders or, um, you know, what, what are the, the functions or the responsibilities of an elder, I do want to clear the desk and talk about just a couple of things. One of the things that I want to talk about is, is the elder... Or is it pastor, or is it bishop, or is it overseer, or reverend, or minister, or you name it? What, what should we be using? One of the main questions that, that uh, sometimes we get asked, especially when we have someone new in the church or someone who's wanting to become a partner with us, um, they often ask, okay, so what's, what's the deal with the church leadership? Like, do you guys have a pastor, or... Or do you uh, have many pastors or elders or what's going on? So uh, the Bible actually does not use the noun pastor at all. 
So, I, you know, it's not that I'm against the term pastor. I think that, uh, well, the Bible does use the verb to shepherd, right? Which is where we get the word pastor, to, to pastor, to shepherd. Uh, and all of the, uh, all of the, uh, the themes surrounding the, the idea of shepherding do communicate the idea of someone being a pastor or an elder. For example, the fact that it talks about shepherding the flock of God the fact that some of the some of the, the the instructions for the for the leaders of a church is that they should protect the church against wolves, right? So all of the language surrounding it, I think, allows for the term shepherd or pastor. And so we are not opposed to the term pastor here at Kaleo. Um, now, in in a little bit, I'm going to mention why we why we prefer a different term other than pastor. But let's go to a different term. Another, another one of the words that is used, or one that the Bible actually used, is the word overseer. Overseer. Now, we don't really use the word overseer. It's not a very common word today. Uh, it's a word that could be translated as bishop. And the Greek word for it is actually episkopos, which, you know, we get the word episcopal from it. Um, Another term that is used in scripture is elder, which in Greek would be presbyteros, and where we get the word, you know, Presbyterian or the presbytery or things like that. Um, now, here at Kaleo, we prefer the word for, el- we prefer the word elder. Elder, not, again, we don't have anything necessarily against the word pastor, but we just like the word elder a little bit better. Uh, one of the things that we see in scripture is that the terms, uh, elder and, and bishop or overseer are actually used interchangeably. So a lot of the times when Paul or Peter is talking to the, to the elders, he will say, you know, he who desires the office, or, or for example, he would be telling Timothy or Titus, I left you in Crete to appoint elders. And then he says, an overseer must be blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the, the words are used interchangeably. And so, I think probably one of the main reasons we don't use the word overseer is just because it's, it's not very common in, in our day. Um, and also because sometimes the word bishop could have a, a different connotation. Uh, so, yeah, we prefer the word elder. But again, we are not against the word uh, pastor at all because we do believe that it communicates the role of the elders. Um, now, another another issue that we need to, to uh, address is, is it one elder or is it multiple elders? Or is it one pastor or multiple pastors? Or is it one pastor and a board, a board of elders? Well, we are convinced from Scripture that the church should actually be led by a team of elders, by a plurality of elders, um, there are several instances in the Bible. I, I'm not going to go over each one of them. In fact, I only have one example for you, but, but there are multiple instances in the Bible where the elders of one specific church are addressed in, in the plural. So, for example, in James 5, James uh, writes to the church and he tells them, if anyone is sick, the elders of the church, so the elders, plural, of the church, singular, should pray for him. So we, and there are many other passages like this one where there are multiple elders, one church. 
And so from that and from, you know, from other uh, passages in Scripture, we infer that the ideal form of church leadership is a team of elders, of multiple elders, or a team of pastors, a team of overseers. Uh, something, you kind of going back to the first point that I made, the word pastor, elder, overseer, I use all of those interchangeably and because I believe that what that's what the Bible does. So we believe that there should be a plurality of leaders. Now, do we think that a church that only has one pastor, is it in sin or wrong or, or evil? No, not necessarily. But we do think that it would be ideal if they could get more, if they could appoint more elders, more pastors. And finally, before we, we dig into the, the, the meat of the sermon, and this is a difficult question, but the question is, is it an elder or, and, and this is a made-up word, but is it, do we need an elder or an elderess? In other words, can women be elders or pastors? Um, we believe from the Word of God that the office of elder is reserved for men. Now, I absolutely know that this is a, uh, a view that is very difficult to hold in our society. But we want to make sure that the Bible is dictating the teaching of the church and the practice of the church and not society. In other words, we want to be faithful to Scripture, even when the things that the Bible teaches are directly against what society is saying today. And we believe in Scripture that Scripture is clear that elders should be men. For example, again, you know, I'm just going to give you an example, but this is a topic that you know, there, there has been a lot of work done in this topic. But just as an example, uh, in 1 Timothy and Titus, where Paul is giving the, the, um, the, the qualifications for the elders and some of the responsibilities, he says that an elder must be able to teach. And then in that same letter in 1 Timothy, Paul says, I do not allow uh, a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. And so, you know, we, we put those two together and say, okay, so an elder must be able to teach. An el- part of an elder's job description is to teach the congregation. And then in the same letter, in the letter where he's talking about how one ought to behave in the household of God, he says that women are not allowed to teach or to exercise authority uh, in the church. So, you know, you put those two together and realize, okay, so it seems like the office of elder is reserved for men. now. There are a lot more, um, a, a lot more passages and a lot more um, reasons why we believe this, and I'm happy to discuss those with you. And again, I realize that this is a, a doctrine or a teaching that is not popular today. But again, we want to be faithful to God's word. We want God's word to dictate what we do as a church. Now, just because women cannot be uh, elders or pastors, it doesn't mean that women are less important or inferior or, um, you know, less influential within the church. I think one of the mistakes that our culture makes is that they, they equate role with value or importance. And so, for example, you know, in, in a household, the husband and the wife are not they don't have the same role. Are they equally important? Absolutely. Are they uh, e- equally valuable before God? Absolutely. 
Are the children equally important as the parents? Absolutely. But within the household, would it be right for the children and for the parents to hold the exact same role, to have the exact same responsibilities? Can you imagine your children? Can you imagine Eliza being like, all right, Jordan, go get this. <laughs> that, I mean, I feel like sometimes our kids uh, behave like that, but obviously we do not want to allow that. It's, it's just off, right? Like it's just not the way that it should be. And, you know, we can go, um, we can talk about all the ways that our society today, the world today is trying to, to mess with God's different roles for, for men and women. But, you know, I don't, I don't, we don't have time to go there. But the point is, just because there are different roles within the household, it doesn't mean that there is a difference in value or importance. I think the Trinity is a very, very clear example of this, right? It, within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they don't all have the same roles. Does that make any of them any less important than the other? Or does that make Jesus inferior or less important or of a lesser substance than, than the Father? No, but they have different roles. So, you know, in the household of God, it is the same way. There are different roles within the church, but everyone has, every individual has the same value before God. And also, you know, Paul was very clear about having women that were his co-laborers. He mentions multiple women in the Bible that were women of, uh, 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 you know, women that, that co-labored with him, women that, that served alongside with him women that were influential. For example, when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he mentions how Timothy's mother and grandmother were instrumental in the, the bringing up of Timothy. Um, so yeah, we have multiple examples of women working within the church. And so I, I do want to stress is that just because women are not allowed to be elders, it doesn't mean that the job or the responsibility of women within the church is insignificant. No, we absolutely need women in the church and we need their role that God has given them. But today, as we are talking about elders, uh, we're going to focus on the office of elder. So let's ask the question, what is an elder? So these are, uh, I have three Kind of three different definitions, but I think they all overlap and, and none of this is exhaustive. But one of them is an elder or a pastor or an overseer is an administrator of God's household. So we read in Titus 1.7, in Titus, uh, Paul is giving instructions for the elders and he says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So he's saying that an overseer is God's steward or God's administrator. Also in, in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, he says, he's talking about the elders and he says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to change it, how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so the reasoning there is an elder has to be able to manage his own household so that he can also do his job of managing the household of God. And so 
An elder is an administrator or a manager. Although I don't like the, the sound of that, but he is an, an administrator or a steward of God's household. Now, I think we, you know, we need to see that. We need to understand that and accept that. And we need to accept that in God's economy, in his wisdom, he has established that the church, that his household would be managed or would be led and cared for and governed by qualified elders. The elders are the leaders of the church, right? So, um, I honestly, I think it's, it's really difficult to dodge that teaching or to come up with a different conclusion from Scripture. I believe the Scriptures have, uh, have a lot of very clear teaching on that. Uh, number two, an elder is an overseer or a guardian or supervisor. So, for example, in Acts 20, 28, when Paul is addressing the elders of Ephesus, in Acts 20, 28, he says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then in, Tim, in 1 Timothy 3, 1, he says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, etc. And, and we're going to get into those qualifications. But for now, I do want to focus on the fact that an elder is someone who is an overseer or a guardian or supervisor of the church. That's what the word overseer means. It means guardian. And so I think that part of being a guardian means that an overseer is someone that makes sure that the things or make sure that things are being done properly. It's someone who makes sure that the things that a church should be doing are actually happening. So for example, an elder oversees by teaching sound doctrine, by correcting false teaching, um, by work. It, actually, we're going to talk more about this. For now, we're just focusing on these definitions. Um, and number three, an elder is a shepherd or a pastor. That's where the that's what the word pastor means is a shepherd. An elder is a shepherd of God's flock. And we see that among other passages in First Peter five, one to two. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder in a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So an elder is a shepherd or a pastor of God's flock. The idea of shepherding communicates leadership and administration, but I think that the main emphasis of the idea of shepherding is the responsibility uh, to care for or to nurture, to feed, to protect, to look out for God's church. Just think about the word, the, think about the work of a shepherd. What is a shepherd supposed to do? He's supposed to care for the sheep, right? He's supposed to make sure that the sheep don't get eaten by wolves or lions or whatever. He's supposed to make sure that the sheep have uh, green grass to eat. He's supposed to make sure that no one steals the sheep. Right? And so on. We, we can just think of that imagery of a shepherd. And that is what a pastor or an elder is in God's household. Now, 
what are the qualifications of elders? We do not have time to go in detail in, into every single one of the qualifications because there's a lot of qualifications. But this is, this is how I want us to approach this. I'm going to read the two passages in Scripture that, that give the qualifications for elders. And my invitation for you is that you write down the, the, the references and that in your home, you study these passages more carefully. Now, this is a this is a, a you know pretty vulnerable invitation. But the invitation that I make is that after having studied those passages, that you think about Jordan, just Jordan, no Jordan and I, who are, who are the elders of the church, and that you ask yourself, do they meet these qualifications? Because we do take the office of elder very very seriously. We take the word of God very seriously. And we want to make sure that we are meeting these qualifications. And so if, as you are reading, you, you know, you see one and say, oh, wow, no, clearly Ben is not meeting this qualification. Or, or maybe, hopefully it's not like that, right? Hopefully it's not. Ben clearly doesn't meet, meet this qualification. But if you read something and you think, hmm, you know, I would like to look a little bit more into that, then I welcome you. And, and I'm speaking for Jordan here. We welcome you to come to us, to speak to us, and to, you know, either sort us or confront us or, or just say, hey, can we talk about this? I, I, you know, I was going over the qualifications and, and I want to talk to you about this. We absolutely welcome that because we want to make sure that we are obeying God's word. Now, I do want to say uh, as, a, as a disclaimer, no one meets these qualifications perfectly, right? There's, there's no human being other than Jesus who in this life will perfectly meet all of these qualifications and will never fall uh, uh, short of any of these. But the elders are the ones who must be setting the example to the church in terms of working towards these qualifications. As we read these qualifications, you should notice that these qualifications, qualifications are actually describing what every Christian should be like. Most of these qualifications, with the exception of a few ones, or, or, or of a couple two, um, are qualifications that every single believer, whether, whether an elder or, or someone who aspires to be an elder or, or someone who will never be an elder, these qualifications are describing the Christian life. And so the elders are called to model what it looks like to live, in, uh, to live out these qualifications, to live out the Christian life. Um, also, before we read the qualifications, I do want to point out that these qualifications, with a few exceptions, are focused on character and not on special skills or abilities. In other words, unlike the world, when we bring a pastor or an elder, when we appoint someone as an elder for the church, we are not necessarily looking at how good they are in terms of or, or sorry, how much experience they have in economics, right? We, we don't say, oh, you know what? So-and-so is a really good economist and, and he used to be the CEO of a church or sorry, of, a, of a, you know, a bank or his organization. So maybe we should consider that person to be an elder so that we have a more organized church. No, we want to make sure that we are looking at the qualifications, which are character qualifications first. And then if they happen to 
you know, have a CEO position in their history. Well, you know, that's great. That's amazing. But we would never appoint someone just because of their skills or their life experience. We want to make sure that they meet the qualifications, which also means that we are not looking for a seminary degree. We are not looking for, you know, a doctorate or anything like that. We are looking for someone who meets the qualifications that the Bible sets out clearly. So first, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And again, I'm only going to read these, and the invitation is for you to, at home, take more time to study these out. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That is one of the passages that gives qualifications for elders. And then Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus 1, 5 through 9. Again, please write these down and spend some time looking at them. Titus 1, verse 5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must, <clears throat> must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So these are the qualifications. This is what Jordan and I are, you know, we aspire to, we constantly are, are trying to look at these and make sure that we are meeting these qualifications. But again, we welcome your, your feedback. We welcome your, uh, I guess I could say we welcome your scrutiny and, and 
God help us. Um, all right, so what are the responsibilities of an elder? This, uh, this list, again, it's not exhaustive, but these are some of the main responsibilities that I see in Scripture. One of them, and, and we already talked about it, but maybe in a little bit more detail, an elder's, an elder's responsibility is to oversee or to administer or to care for God's household. So as the title suggests, uh, an elder must be able to manage, to administer God's church. Uh, we should, we, um, we have to make sure that we are taking care of God's church, that we are feeding well God's church, that the church is thriving, that the church is healthy. We have to make sure that the church is fulfilling its mission. We are to oversee, to, to guard that the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. And this is very important because there are a lot of churches out there that seem to be thriving, seem to be doing well. You know, the people seem to be happy and comfortable. But if the church is not doing what the church should be doing, which is the mission of God, the mission of making disciples of all nations, if the members of the church are not growing spiritually, it means that the elders are not doing their job. It means that the elders are more entertainers rather than overseers of the church. The job of an elder is not to entertain the church. It's not to put on a show so that, so that you know, the church is extremely attractive and, and a lot of people come to see them. No. The job of an elder, the job of an overseer is to make sure that the church is functioning the way that God intended the church, which is his household, to function. Part of overseeing means making financial decisions, teaching sound doctrine, correcting false doctrine, exhorting people within the church if they are in sin or if they are uh, living a lifestyle that could lead to sin. Sometimes it means exercising church discipline, which uh, on, on, on those who continue in unrepentant sin. Among many, among many other things, these are just examples. Another one of the responsibilities for elders is to shepherd. An elder is supposed to shepherd. When Paul gathered the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he exhorted them to shepherd the flock of God. And one of the things that, that we as elders need to be reminded every day as we shepherd the flock is this. If you go back to Acts 20, verse 28, look at how Paul refers to the church. He says to the elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. An elder has to know and has to always be reminded and have it in the forefront of his mind that the church is God's possession. That the church is God's precious possession that he bought with the blood of Jesus. If an elder or a pastor does not realize that, then he is going to become an abusive elder. Or he's going to become a lazy elder or, or whatever, whatever flaw that we often see in leadership today. It is because the elders do not realize or do not remember often enough that the church is God's precious possession that he bought with his blood. 
So we as elders, our responsibility is to care for the church, to, to shepherd the church as if it were a flock. This means, again, uh, protecting it against wolves, against the false teachers. This means uh, feeding the church, so feeding with, with teaching, which could be in public teaching, could be in, uh, in, in Bible studies, in private uh, um, admonition and exhortation, encouragement. Um, this means confront, so, you know, part of protecting the church against wolves sometimes means that we have to confront people. Sometimes means that maybe there's a, a visitor in the church or, or someone that, you know, is kind of con- thinking about coming to the church. And then, you know, our, our, our pastoral antenna, you know, starts blinking and say, ah, you know what, this person could actually bring some division or false teaching. So we have to sit down with that person. We have to talk to them and figure out where they're at. And if we think that it is the most beneficial for the church to ask that person, hey, we don't feel like it's right for you to be here. Sometimes we have to do that. Um, yeah, so shepherding the flock. Another one of the responsibilities, and all of these are overlapping, but another one of the responsibilities is to teach. One of the only qualifications for elders that is uh, skill-specific or ability-specific is that they should be able to teach. A lot of the qualifications are in terms of character, but one of the ones that is not necessarily character is that they should be able to teach. So an elder or the elders, their job is to teach the Word of God to the church. Now, this doesn't mean that every single elder is going to be a preaching elder, although you know I do like it when... When Jordan preaches, I, I, I am blessed by um, his exposition of the word. But, you know, a lot of the times the teaching looks different. A lot of the times it looks, you know, Jordan does teaching when he is leading his missional community. I do some teaching there as well, or when we are meeting with a smaller group. But the point is that an elder should know the word of God and should be able to teach others the word of God. This happens primarily Teaching happens verbally, right? It, it happens as we open our mouths and speak the word of God and, and, and uh, teach the church. But one of the things that I, that I noticed as I was studying for this, for this sermon and as I was reading other people is that another way that the elders teach is through their example. One of the reasons why these qualifications for elders are heavily focused on character is because the church is not only supposed to hear what the elders are teaching, but the church should also be able to observe the elders' lives and say, I want to imitate that. And that is a, that, that is a, a sobering, hefty uh, thought for, for us as elders to know that people, the church, are looking at us and are saying, they are the examples for this church. They are the ones setting the example for what it looks like to live, um, to live as a Christian. So you know, the office of elder is not, it's not an easy task. It's not a, it's not a light thing to do. But it is something that, um, something that should be entered very thoughtfully and very carefully. Now, I do want to briefly address what are the responsibilities of the church toward the elders. 
So, you know, we're looking at the other side of the coin. Um, and for that, let, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Now, there are many other responsibilities for the church, and, and Jordan is going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But Hebrews 13, 17 do make very clear the, the, inter- or the responsibilities of the church towards their leaders. In verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think one of the difficulties of leading a church in America is Americans. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, uh, why, I mean, why, why, did we, why did we cross the Atlantic Sea? Because we didn't want to be told what to do by a king, right? I mean, that, that's a little simplistic. But, but this country is, the, the, the very, or part of the very foundation of this country is I'm a free person, right? And I can do whatever I want to do. And I don't want a king telling me what to do. I don't want, you know, someone else telling me what to do. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And so... I believe that the spirit of this country is a spirit of independence and individuality, which I'm not saying it's all wrong. I think there are a lot of really good things. But we do need to think biblically about this. And we need to remember that the church is God's household. And he has established different roles. And then one of the the responsibilities of the members of a church towards the elders is clearly stated in Hebrews 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. And so, again, you know, the, for the American mind, it's like, what? Are you telling me to obey and submit to someone? And, this, and the reason why I mention this is because, you know, coming from Mexico, this is not that, in Mexico, it's, it's pretty much the opposite. Like in Mexico, and I've, I've discussed with Nathan this as well, now that he is, in, you know, leading a church in Mexico. But in Mexico, people tend to... Um, people tend to be more willing to submit to figures of authority. So people are more willing to submit to a pastor, to a leader, to a, to, or, you know, to a Catholic priest or whatever. Uh, whereas here, I feel like it's almost the opposite. Like I've had several instances, and it's sad for me to, to say, but I've had, I've had several instances where I come to someone and I bring a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, and the first, the first response that I get is like, why are you telling me this? Like, who are you to tell me this? And I say this with humility. I, I don't say it to them. I'm saying it to you. Well, I'm your pastor. I'm your elder. I'm the one who God has appointed to tell you this. And so, you know, it is, it is difficult, but I think all of us need to listen to God's word. And God's word is saying that our responsibility as church members is to submit to our leaders, is to submit to the people that God has entrusted. If you remember in, in, the, in the Acts 20 passage, it does say that it is the Holy Spirit who has appointed these elders as shepherds of the flock. So this is, this is God's wisdom. It's not someone saying, 
you know, it's not like we're coming and, and saying, hey, you need to listen to us. You need to obey us because we're cooler than you. No, we are not saying that at all. We are saying the word of God says that the church should be governed by elders and that one of the responsibilities of the elders towards, sorry, of the church towards the elders is to obey and submit to them. And then notice the reasoning. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's something that I think about often. That's one of the reasons why I believe in church membership because I want to know who am I accountable to God for. If someone is leaving the church, I will, you know, I will do a last visit and just make sure that I'm saying, okay, so you are no longer a part of Kaleo and I am no longer responsible for you because I take my responsibility seriously. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you submit to your leaders, if you let them do their job, that's going to be uh, an advantage to you. Now, I think one of the reasons why, well, actually, probably the main reason why people are resistant to authority is because of tyrannical authoritarian leaders, right? I, I think the, the main issue is I don't want to submit to someone who is tyrannical. I don't want to submit to someone who is abusing their authority or abusing their position of power. And sadly, we have seen that over and over and over. We see that, we see that in our country. It's funny, right, that we, we left... We, the, the whole reason, like I was saying earlier, the whole reason we, we went across the Atlantic Sea is because we wanted to be independent and have our own government. But now our governors and our, and our presidents are pretty much like, you know, King George or, or whatever. It, it, it pretty much feels like, like abuse of authority wherever you look. And that is not only a part of government in, in our country, that is something very real and very prevalent within the church. I hear, oft, I hear so many times about people saying, I was hurt by the church. I love Jesus. I have a relationship with him. But I don't want to be a part of the church because I was hurt by the church, because I was abused by the leadership of the church, etc. And sadly, I have to acknowledge that that is a reality. Many people have suffered under terrible, abusive leadership. Many people have suffered by leaders that pull up all of these verses and say, see, you have to submit to me. You have to do whatever, whatever I tell you to do. But the problem here is that they themselves are not modeling what true leadership looks like. And I believe that all of these qualifications for elders that we just read and all of these descriptions for elders and all of the vast passages in Scripture about leaders, about elders, those should be able to filter the right person to be an elder. So in other words, the Word of God is not calling us to submit to an abusive leader. The Word of God is not calling us to submit to, to abusive pastors. The Word of God, this passage, for example, in Hebrews 13, 17, assumes that you are submitting to a leader who meets these qualifications that we just mentioned. And that's why we do not appoint elders or we do not want to appoint elders lightly. That's why we ourselves don't take the office of elder lightly. That's why the Bible calls us to look at ourselves, to keep a close 
watch on ourselves because we would never want to hurt God's flock that he bought with the blood of his son Jesus. So, I want, I, I want us to turn to First uh, Peter, and this is the penultimate um, passage we're going to touch on. In other words, we're getting to the end. Um, we already read a little bit of it, but I, I do want to focus a little bit more because I feel like this passage really describes what an elder should look like. I mean, besides all the others that we just read, but I, I really like this passage. And again, the Bible is not calling us to submit to tyrannical leaders. The Bible is calling us to submit to these kind of elders. This is what Peter says. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as, a well, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So right there, right? He's saying, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The example that he is setting, the example of leadership, is Christ. And the suffering Christ, to be clear. And he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then, he has three different pairs, three different opposite pairs. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So an elder should never be an elder if he feels like he is being forced to be an elder or if, he, or, or if being an elder just feels like a, like a chore, like something like, oh, okay, I guess I have to lead the church. No. No, because if you, if you don't like what you're doing, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, if you, if you don't feel like God has called you to do what you're doing, you're going to do a poor job. And so we would not want an elder to be leading the church under compulsion or by, by obligation, but rather they should do it willingly as God would have you. Now, here's the second pair, the negative first, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. One of the things that I, um, one of the many things that I appreciate about Nathan, who who you know planted this church and is now serving the Lord in 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 Mexico, um, he was always very clear that we were not here for the money. In fact, when he invited us to come here to Aberdeen, he was like, "Hey, if if you're looking for for if you're looking for money, if you're looking for a better gig, then don't come here. Like, we're not here for the money." And, and, you know, that stuck with me. Another one of the things he said that really stuck with me is, you know, when you are an, an elder, when you're a leader of a church, you need to ask yourself this question. You know, especially uh, someone like me who, who is actually receiving my financial support through the church. The question is, would you still be doing this even if you didn't get paid for it? And I think that's, that's a really good question, right? Like, okay, if, if, you know, Kaleo were to do very badly financially, and they say, hey, Ben, you know what? We, sh we cannot pay you anymore. Would I say, well, see you later. I'm going to look for, a, for a, a church that pays me something better. Or would I say, no, this is what I, what I feel like God has called us to do. This is where God has called us to be. And we want to serve the church because we're not here for the money. And I think, you know, for that, I, I, I think Jordan is a great example. Jordan doesn't get a, a, a penny from the church 
and yet he is serving the church faithfully as an elder. Um, so not for shameful gain, but eagerly, right? An elder should be leading the church eagerly, willingly, with, with motivation and without thinking, oh, I'm doing this because I'm getting paid or I'm doing it because of the money. No, not at all. And then the last pair that he mentions, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So an elder, a pastor should never be domineering, should never be abusive, should never be uh, rude toward people. It should never be like, you guys are so dumb. I've told you this so many times. Why do you keep doing? No, 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 no. That's not the kind of leadership that Jesus exemplified. A leader, an elder should never be domineering over those in their charge, but rather being examples to the flock. And then listen to this. Listen to the motivation that Peter gives the elders. He says, and when, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who is the chief shepherd? It's Jesus, right? This has happened to me multiple times where someone new would come to the church and say, hey, are you the pastor? And, and I actually had this conversation with someone recently. He's like, hey, so are you the pastor? And I'm like, I'm one of the pastors. Yeah, but like, are you the senior pastor? I, well, I'm one of the pastors. So who's the senior pastor? And I said, Jesus. <laughs> right? Because Jesus is the senior pastor. Right? And that's one of the reasons why we don't do senior associate youth or anything like that. Because Jesus is the senior pastor. He is the chief shepherd. He is the, the, the prince of shepherds. We respond to him. Jordan and I are the ones that God has established to lead Kaleo. But we are not our own bosses. Jesus is our boss. We respond to Jesus. And if we do our job well, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I told you that was the penultimate. So now let's get to the very last. And for this one, I just want to read the passage and make a few comments. Please turn to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. Since Jesus is the, the chief shepherd, he is the one that we aspire to imitate. His leadership is the one that we follow, the one that we want to, to imitate and to exemplify. And this is the kind of leadership that Jesus taught. So here we have uh, the sons of Zebedee, and they want authority. They want power. They're asking Jesus, hey, when you come in your glory, we want one of us want to be seated at your right hand and one of your left. The whole reason is, hey, when you come in your glory, you're going to be king. You're going to be ruling, and we want to be ruling with you. And so this is how it goes. Jesus, uh, in, verse, in Matthew 20, verse 20, Matthew tells us, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? What do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left, it is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. 
And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the great, whoever, sorry, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the example that we want to follow as leaders. We want to be your servants. We want to be looking at Jesus every day and say, wow, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was there in full glory, he came down to earth as a human, as a servant. And he came not to be served. He could have, right? He, he is God. He could have come and to be served and, and, you know, just tell everyone, look at my glory, serve me. But instead, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is our motivation. And this is ultimately the motivation of all Christians, that Christ died for us. If we truly believe that Christ died for us, then we cannot be or we, we should not be tyrannical leaders, authoritarian, authoritarian leaders, because Jesus, our Lord, came as a servant. How could we be anything else but a servant? If we truly believe that Jesus died for us, serving us, then how could any of us be tyrannical or, or domineering towards our, our wife or our children or our co-workers, our employees? Whatever position it is that you have, if you truly believe that Jesus came down and served and died on the cross, how could we have any pride in us if Jesus died for us to save us? So, as we continue looking into the different roles within the church, our desire and our prayer is that ultimately we would be looking at Jesus, who is the head of the church, who is the chief shepherd of the church, and that we would always be amazed at his glory and at his service, at his leadership. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clear instruction on the different roles within your household. God, we want to be faithful to you. We want to do things according to your word. We want to do things as you have established them and instructed us and not as the world would have us or as our society would have us. Please give us grace to continue to do that, Lord. Give us light for the areas in which we are falling short of, of your plan or your design. Give us humility, Lord. I pray specifically for Jordan and I, Lord, as, as elders, leaders of Kaleo, that you'd give us humility, Lord, that you give us the same attitude of your son, Jesus, who came to serve. 
not to be served, and who gave his life as a ransom for many. I pray for each one of us as a church, as a congregation, that we would submit to your word, that we would submit to your teaching, Lord, and that we would submit to the elders of the church, submit to one another. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, and for the work that he did on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.